Friday on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the Fan, Dr. Cuthbert, Dr. Forzy this morning. The text line one goes day. about doctors, I'll one, tell you that. You have a chance one day to be a doctor. If I ever was asked to receive an honorary doctorate, I would do it with absolutely zero shame. We've, and I'd put that up on my wall and I'd change my my Twitter handle to Dr. Forzy and you'd all you have would. to call me doctor. Because I think one day we're going to do it. Bring it on, baby. We figured out the, uh, you know, we got like medicine and sociology, philosophy, mm-hmm. Dubis is doctor and capology. There you go. <laughs> Good one, Justin. Dr. Justin Cuthbert. We talked to Dave Markle yesterday. Um, they're over in L.A. getting ready for the U.S. Open. Um, he's a caddy for Nick Taylor on the PGA Tour. He has been for a while. They're great friends. We got to catch up with him about all things Canadian Heritage Weekend, what that moment was like, how Nick Taylor's doing, working through all the highs and the excitement around it. Um, here's our interview with Dave Markle. Okay, so you had the opportunity to be the closest upfront and personal with the Canadian heritage moment that we witnessed this past weekend. So walk us through what it was like standing there on the green, watching that putt get closer and closer and closer and eventually actually go in the hole. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was wild, you know. Um, I, I told people the last couple of days that my, my eyes were probably the size of dinner plates by the time the ball went in the hole. Um <laughs> You know, uh, you know, we 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 got the read there. Um, Nick was kind of on it, and I just reconfirmed what I thought it was going to do, and we were on the same page. And uh, you know, we knew it was going to be slow with uh, with the amount of rain and moisture that had collected there. And um, yeah, he took it back, and and it it was kind of right on our spot. And um, you know, it. it the closer and closer you got to the hole, it looked like it was going to go in, and, and boom, um, just kind of mayhem right after. And uh, I don't think Nick really realized what happened when he kind of tossed his putter, and, and I just, you know, purely reacted to the crowd with the adrenaline, and, and um, you know, every just went nuts. You know, it was, uh, it's, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, being in the moment and. Uh, experience experiencing everything the way you know from my perspective it's it's pretty amazing um i don't think either one of us really realize like you know the enormity of it right now but uh, you know it's starting to sink in a little bit you know so how is it then dealing with the enormity of it like is this just business as usual out there in la you're headed to the golf course like is it is it all good in that sense or has this week week been like almost too much just a little bit uh in some sense i guess a little too not too much too much in a good way right um mm-hmm. you know it's obviously um you know it, it's 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 kind of a traveling circus out here. You don't really get a time to enjoy it per se, if you're playing the next week. And, um, you know, we've got, we're going to take next week off and not play Hartford. So I think, um, it'll give Nick and myself an opportunity to probably reach out to a lot of people that have reached out to us. And, uh, I don't know how many messages, you know, hundreds and, and, you know, probably over a thousand messages the last few days, like through, Twitter and Instagram and, and, and text messages and a lot of great people that um, I haven't really had the time to sit down and, and uh, respond to, but uh, I look forward to that in the next you know few days, next week.
So you're talking about the read uh, before the putt there and being on it and being, you know, in unison, right? Like you both read it the same way. You're comfortable with it. You're confident with it. But I don't think the expectation is to make that putt, right? So, like, what's the strategy there where you're just like, hey, two putts puts the pressure on. Let's just get this close. Was that what you guys were talking about? Because it was coming in pretty hot. Like what? What? Like the 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 self talk and the conversations you had before he jarred that putt. What were you guys trying to do? I mean, you're always trying to, you know. You're, I guess you're always trying to make it right, and sometimes the hole gets in the way. Um, you know, coming off the 18th tee, like you know, it was our fourth playoff hole, right? And Tommy's a great player. Um, and with that being said, he hasn't. You know, he's won a lot throughout the world but he still hasn't won in the u.s yet and uh i knew there's there's obviously nerves you know for nick trying to close it out in canada and tommy trying to win on the pga tour for the first time and uh and it kind of dawned on me after the third hole that you know he was trying to do something for the first time too and and you know we we talked about it coming off the 18th tee the last time and and i said you know we got to end this you know, we can't give him any more chances and, and somebody's going to end this soon. And it's got to be you, you know? And, um, anyways, uh, he just kind of, he stepped up and did it, you know, eventually somebody was, they, you know, they played great golf in the playoff, but eventually someone was going to step up and, and really, you know, take it. And, uh, you know, Nick has, he's got a, he's got a knack for, um, when he gets in those, big moments and, and when he gets a, ch- a chance to kind of take one home he um he's pretty damn good at, at you know at closing so um yeah it's just uh you know i'm still a little speechless to be honest and uh i i believed he could do it and 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 you know i was probably the least surprised or least shocked but at the same time like the way it happened it was um it was wild you know uh, it, it is still uh, hard for us to even, you know, wrap our head around it. We weren't there. We're talking to Dave Markle, um, who is the caddy for Nick Taylor on the PGA Tour. So what is the moment like for you? Like, what is what is the responsibility of a caddy? I know it's different for everybody in their relationship, but when you're talking to Nick in this moment, are you are you giving him positive um, affirmations? Are you are you encouraging? Are you saying, like, let's take a deep breath? You know, you've got this. Um, how, how do you approach a moment of that magnitude as a caddy and what your role is in helping that putt get in the hole? Yeah, I mean, you know, as caddies, we, you know, Nick's the one out there, he's hitting the shots, and, and we try to play as big a role as we can to support him. That's my job is to support him any way I can. And, um, you know, it, it, it's positive, you know, positive re, um reinforcement out there you know he sees it a certain way and if i agree then you know you gotta you gotta you know you you have to be as positive as you can and and you know i've i've been fortunate to kind of you know play against and with nick when he was the number one amateur in the world and and i played with him on a few canadian teams and uh you know when he was at his peak as an amateur i've seen him hit some pretty incredible shots and and um do things that you know, I haven't seen other guys do. And, and, um, you know, I think that's having me out there with him. I think, um, you know, I think he's, he's, he has the belief when I, you know, tell him he can do something because I've seen him do it before. And, um, just nothing, nothing really surprises me with the guy. And, uh, 
you know, uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know what hole it was, but we were walking up the 18th at one point and the crowd was just going nuts and yelling his name. And it's like, you know, enjoy this dude. Like everyone's here to see you right now. And, uh, you know, let's enjoy this moment and, um, you know, keep him loose and, and, and just kind of, you know, keep him fighting till the end. And, uh, you know, that's what he did this week, especially after, you know, starting with 75 and, and kind of getting himself back on track. And, and, you know, he played lights out the last three days. And, and this is something that, you know, obviously that he's he's going to have for a lifetime. We will. And, and the whole country is going to be able to, um, you know, um, enjoy and appreciate for a long time. A history clearly not lost on you guys, right? And it, it had to be in your brains in the moment. And, and it's it's burdensome, right? Like 69 years. This is a big, big talking point. And it's something that sort of overcomes this tournament in a lot of ways, at least for media types talking about this and fans that are attending the event. Like a Canadian had to win this eventually. So why and what about Nick Taylor made it so that it was him? Yeah, I mean... Uh... You know, I'm happy for the guys now that, you know, they've been dealing with that for a long time, like showing up week of Canadian Open and is it going to be your week or is a Canadian going to do it? It hasn't happened in X, X amount of years. And I'm glad the guys can kind of show up and play now and, and not have to probably answer that question anymore. And, and I'm sure we'll probably see more Canadian winners um, now that, you know, Nick's been the guy that's, that's done it. And, um, I think it brings, you know, the confidence or the hope to, to other guys that they can, you know, get themselves in, in the in the hunt and, and deal with kind of the enormity of the situation. Um, like I said, you know, Nick's, Nick's just, he, he you know, he won the Canadian Junior, right, the amateur. Um, he was a stud in college. Um, I think the media had expectations on him, Um you know, big time when he graduated from college and, and thought that he was going to get there maybe sooner than he did. But, I mean, let's keep in mind that he won, like, four or five events into his PGA Tour career. And, and um, you know, he's he's kind of – he's always been the guy in Canadian golf. And, and you know, there's obviously other great players. And, and uh, you know, Nick's just – he's just – I don't know. He's he's just kind of he's just kind of he's a special dude and and uh, kind of lives for that moment, you know. We got to ask about uh, the wife pep talk. I know you were probably not involved in that one, but we heard that it changed everything. Maybe you were a hundred and twentieth at one point, and then down into first, of course, to win the championship. But uh, that that must have been one hell of a sit down to say, buddy, turn this around. <laughs> I just I wonder what insight you have of that one. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I haven't really heard it from Nick, but I, I you know, he's got an incredible wife, and, and Andy's great, and, and um, she's his number one fan, and she always has been, and, and um, you know, he couldn't do that without her support, and, uh, you know, they just had a little girl, um, and Andy's back home with her and, and their three-and-a-half-year-old son, and... Uh, you know, it's been it's been a great year for Nick. Um, we've had a lot of good finishes, but at the same time, you know, the last, you know, uh, I guess Harper's should be four or five weeks old now. Um, the last few weeks have been tough. Um, just, 
you know, I'm not a father. Um, I can't imagine having a little one and then, you know, a couple weeks later, a week later, having to go back out on the road away from your family and, and wanting to be home, right, um, to support your wife and, and family. And um, I think he struggled with that uh, for a couple of weeks at PGA and Colonial. Uh, his game was in good shape, but he just wasn't himself, like, uh, with the emotional management, right, on the golf course. And, and he hit a bad shot and get a little short, and he doesn't usually do that. And, you know, uh, Andy and, and a, a couple other people I know have probably seen the PGA Tour live coverage. And, um, you know, that stretch uh, through uh, our seventh, eighth, and ninth hole on the back nine there, um, starting on the back nine we did for the tournament, he – um, didn't hit his best wide shot on 16 over the green and then uh, bogeyed, bogeyed 17 then kind of compacted airs on 18 and made a double and I think she picked up on his body language through those holes and uh, his coach and, and a couple other people definitely did and Andy's the one that you know it it, it, it means the most coming from, from her you know and I think it took probably uh, her to kind of you know, to to assure Nick that everything's great at home with the uh, with the little one, and uh, you know, go have fun and play golf. And, and you know, I think that was her message to him. And, and uh, you know, he did have fun the last three days, and and um, he was more like the guy that's you know gotten us to the position where we are in the FedEx, and that's you know had a bunch of top tens this year and contended for tournaments. You know, so when he's in that kind of you know, frame of mind where things just roll off him and he's managing his emotional state, you know, he has access to the player that he can be, you know, and he's able to hit the shots that we know he can hit. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big team, you know, and, uh, it starts, you know, with his family and, uh, you know, thanks. Thanks Andy. Uh, <laughs> for having that talk with them, you know. Thank you. I think all of Canada is thanking you, you know. Oh, yeah, all so. of Canada. All of Canada uh, giving thanks for sure. We're talking to Dave Markle, who caddies for Nick Taylor on the PGA Tour. Uh, one, uh, Just a couple more for you here, Dave. Uh, one of the big conversations online and on television during that playoff was the sprinkler head uh, that you guys seemingly, I mean, you definitely were aware of, but you guys didn't pay much attention to, and a lot of people thought you were going to take relief Tommy Fleetwood taking relief and we're all going crazy. Uh, how much of a conversation point was that sprinkler head before that chip? Uh, and, and why was relief not the option for you guys? I, I was definitely paying attention to it. When we got up there, that was the first thing that I saw. Um, you know, I handed him this club and I was like, you know, we're, we're like, we can drop, you can drop this ball. Like, like get in there and see where you're standing and, and, you know, let's call an official and, and, and drop it right and you know nick nick plays by the rules um and i you know he got in there initially and with his line where he's playing it i don't it didn't look like he was stepping on it but he was very close um and i i don't think you know we could have easily dropped it and got it to the shorter cut of rough there and uh and you know it'd been fine with that and it would have been a much easier shot but I think, you know, it's up to the player, right? Um, and you see, you know, there's a few guys out here that would 
that would definitely be dropping that ball, but uh, it just kind of goes to show, like the dude that Nick is, and, and the integrity that he that he has, and and, and uh, I guess kind of you know how he holds himself, and and he didn't want. I don't think he wanted to drop it to the shorter cut of Ross, and that to be like uh, you know something that came up after, right? Because it was it was close to whether he should drop it or not. When he got in there to play the shot, um, he was getting. The way he was standing, he was getting closer and closer to it before he hit the shot. And um, you know, personally, I, I if, it, if it was me hitting the shot, thank goodness it wasn't. But if it was me hitting the shot, um, I I would have tried to get relief or said that I was standing on it. It was that close. But um, you know, unfortunately, it worked out the way it did. And uh, you know, he made a he made a hell of a pot to get in, and and um, you know we bogey, he bogeyed 16 and, and made that clutch pot on 17, and then a clutch pot on 18 to get in, and then you know a couple big pots in the playoff, and and just such a competitor, and, and I, I mean I'm so happy for the guy and, and that he was the one to do it, and uh, it's just it's just. You know, it's just uh, an incredible moment, you know. And so that incredible moment, uh, there's lots of slow-mo videos online, and there's <laughs> one where you guys are in the background celebrating, and then there's a linebacker that turns around <laughs> and comes and tackles Adam Hadwin. And I think you're the first one to really realize what's going on because your facial expressions go from elation to what the hell is happening here and then you're a part of uh breaking it up so walk us through just the the realization that that was going down and maybe them them you know the this the chaos the champagne and what happened to the guard we nobody knows what happened to the guard so we need the <laughs> we need the insight there <laughs> yeah it was wild actually you know uh nick and i were just kind of going nuts and everybody else was and then i looked up and and I could see it in slow motion. And uh, I thought Hads was dead when it first happened, you know. Like, <laughs> I thought he had a concussion or a broken rib for sure. Um, and, and I, you know, obviously the, the um, you know, the guard or the security man, he didn't know. And uh, he, I, I don't think he was briefed very well, um, you know, or expected it, I guess. Um, he was just doing his job, you know. And, uh we're grateful that he was, and we're grateful that Hadwin was all right. When I found out that he was all right, you know, um, I don't know what I did. I think I went and got the flag out of the hole and made sure no one still stole that on me. But uh, it's all, it's all, it's it's pretty funny now that we, you know, since he was all right, and uh, I'm not sure, you know, what's what's gotten more hits on the internet, like Nick making the pot <laughs> in the, the actual tackle. moment or the <laughs> tackle, you know, so. <laughs> He, the security the security guard was actually outside. Um, you know, we were on the 18th train for quite a while, and then Nick went in and did his media, and I had some family there. We went to the locker room after uh, my wife and family and, and, and parents, and, uh, you know, we were in there kind of waiting for Nick and getting some food and, and uh, having a couple drinks, and um, he was out in front of the locker room, uh, the security guard, and I went out, and I, I'm like, i got to say something to this guy, you know, and I went out, and I was like, Man, that was a hell of a hit. He yeah. just laid out there. And he was kind of, he kind of laughed, but you could tell he was almost a little embarrassed about it. And I've heard that, um, 
I think there's some Canadian golf media here this week, and, and I forget who was saying, but they had tried to reach out to the security guard, and, and I think he was, you know, trying to stay kind of low, low profile or low key about it, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but anyways, then Adam's taking it. Right? He's Honest taking mistake. a while. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. Good, great tackle though. Ten out of ten tackle. CFL, so, CFL is looking for this guy to get him on a roster at this point. Um, absolutely. <laughs> there you go. Um, what you mentioned, you grabbed the flag. Do you, do you know what you're going to do with it? Where to go? I know the champagne bottle is going to the Canadian Golf Hall of Fame, but are you keeping that flag uh, for your own personal collection? Yeah, you know, I, I I put it down somewhere, and I saw Brian Croft, the tournament director, walk off with it while we were trying to get some pictures with Nick and the trophy. Um, he's got it, and apparently Nick's agent said that he's he's going to pack it up and send it All to right, me. Um, and you know, I've got the, I ran over and got the ball that uh, mm-hmm. you know that that you know that went that went in, and uh, I've got the ball from uh, that Nick played the back nine with on. Uh, on Saturday to tie the course record. Um, so a couple, you know, cool little things. And I'm going to keep them for now. They might eventually be a donation to, uh, you know, Canadian Sports Hall of Fame or something mm-hmm. like that. But uh, um, for now, I'm, I'm, you know, they're, they're kind of in my back pocket, right? We'll see what happens. Well, incredible memorabilia that I have. I'm so glad we got to, to chat. I know you're, you guys are busy down there in LA. So best of luck this weekend. Um, say congrats to Nick for us. And uh, hopefully you guys keep it rolling, keep that momentum going. And uh, Canada's real proud. So thanks for everything and uh, enjoy, enjoy the U S open. Yeah. Thanks guys. Um, really appreciate it. And, uh, and, and yeah, like I said, uh, you know, great moment for Nick is, is, family his team and and uh and hopefully the you know i know the whole country's um as proud of him as as i am and uh, um yeah just incredible you yeah know? well you bet we are all proud uh, uh thanks again for joining us and best of luck this week and this weekend yeah thanks guys dave markle doctorate in caddying on the PGA for Nick Taylor. Well, agriculture? Can you give him that? I'm sure you could. Reading Greens, a doctorate in Reading Greens. we got to get everyone a doctor. That was awesome, though. Great to get the, the, like the first-hand view of everything that went on um, this weekend at the Canadian Open with Nick Taylor. They're teeing off today. I don't even know how much of a whirlwind this last four days must have been for Nick Taylor. You have this moment. It's bewildering to the mm-hmm. world. And then you hop on a plane, you get to... Oh, hop off a plane at LAX with a dream and a cardigan and a Canadian. A dream and a Canadian open? Yeah, there you go. Anywho, and then you have to dial it back in and focus on this. And there's still Canadian media there, as Dave mentioned. They're probably like, how's it going, Nick? How's it going? Mm-hmm. And like everyone's so excited, so fired up. And then you got to go play in an even bigger tournament. Really. Yeah, he's got to go like measure out a course and do and like memorize a new course uh, for this weekend or Nick Taylor is going to be at a disadvantage. So, yeah, there's it's busy times for them. They are going to take a, a little break, uh, as Dave mentioned. I love like it's it was like a really Canadian moment, like Canadiana overload. But him <laughs> refusing to take the drop that was available to him and wanting to win Good the right Canadian way boy, right? is very, very Canadian as well. And the fact that he didn't lose because of that is is obviously it's the great. golf gods. But uh, yeah, he could have just been putting from that tough position uh, near the sprinkler. But Nick Taylor, upstanding individual, doesn't take the free drop that Tommy took. Yeah, and, don't get uh, me started. 
gets the job we're done golfing anyway. today. Bray Ben again. Our besties at Bray Ben. Oh, I'm going to be dropping like crazy, and fluffing if, it if up. If there's a sprinkler head, I'm giving myself about 20 club lengths. I just put it in the hole if I'm near <laughs> a sprinkler head. If I land on oh, a sprinkler head today, it counts as uh, I get... Two scores removed off the hole, and it goes in immediately. So get the sprinkler heads ready, Bray Ben. We're coming. <laughs> Expose them. Let's Please, go. Please, like, elevate them, actually. Um, I'd like to hit <laughs> one. Um, we'll do that for, for our round today. Also, Dave Markle. I didn't get a chance to bring it up with him because I didn't want to derail the conversation. From an incredible Hamlet, Shelburne. Mm. The folks in Ontario now know the Shelburne Hamlet, a uh, little bit outside of... The Beaten Path, which is why it's a beautiful hamlet. Um, I must attend Shelburne. I would try to explain where it is for you, Justin, but... I think... Is Shelburne not on the way to, like, Sobble Beach? Okay, yes. It's a little bit north of Orangeville. You yeah. go through there on your way a lot up of people to Collingwood. That, you know, a lot of people that grew, graduate from Brampton, where okay. I come from, so go to Shelburne, Shelburne in retirement. Like, that's... Yeah, there's kind of a graduation program there. Home of the old-time fiddling contest held each August. Okay. I can so see you getting We can head out there. We were talking like you touring Hamlet's, like it's content that needs to happen. Whether you do it for yourself or this company, Tourism pays Ontario, you to do it. Tourism Ontario needs, steps up. We'll do a partnership where I go to small Hamlets across the province and just fiddling. review. I don't know about fiddling. Oh, you got to try fiddling. No, review like their. Let's make it sports related. Review their old barns. Like check it out. Try like their popcorn. Do a little power ranking. You know, there's like shows where like Gordon Ramsay does like a cross country yeah, culinary that could tour. Be me. It's like Alish's Cross Ontario Hamlet tour. Hamlet, yeah, we're we're get we're gonna get there. It's know not your quite Hamlet. there, Just but that's, know your Hamlet. that's the vision. Okay, so let's get that going here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, time for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum yum yum. Uh, all right, talk about money and winning. Jordan's flu game. Oh, you wanted to be paid for the Hamlet thing. <laughs> yeah, I could, okay. I could take a little cash. Let me just cover my fees. Jordan's flu game sneakers, okay? So we know that the infamous flu game, game five of the 1997 NBA Finals, sold for $1.38 million yesterday at auction. Um, we know that game, obviously, uh, an incredible feat, uh, probably one of the... Incredible feat. Nice. <laughs> there you go. One of the most iconic uh, games of all time. He gifted the shoes to a jazz ball boy first originally, and then, oh. yeah, then this this young boy, Preston Truman, held on the shoes for 15 years before auctioning them off in 2013. At the time in 2013, they only sold only they only sold for a hundred thousand, give or give or cha- take a oh, change. Man. Anyway, they've appreciated by more than 1,200 percent. So hold on to your your sneakers from today's golf game because <laughs> you never know, bud. Or Nick Taylor's sneakers. Uh, I'm actually kind of surprised it's only $1.3 million. Like, if hmm. if you're like a sneaker head, which I'm not at all, but you can pay arms and legs for, like, limited edition stuff that is just, like, manufactured yesterday in Oregon or whatever from Nike. Like, you can pay a lot of money yep, for, for sneakers that weren't worn during one of the most memorable basketball moments from one of the most famous athletes that has ever walked this earth. I mean, I'm a little surprised it was only 1.3. What is it, Preston Preston Truman? Mm -hmm. That was his name? What a name. Someone's got to be advising you better. Okay, um, long-awaited F1 talk after the break. We've got Lawrence Barreto joining us. The Canadian Grand Prix is kicking off this weekend uh, in Montreal, of course. It is going to be another big Canadian heritage moment maybe this weekend. Uh, 
we'll see. Uh, Lance Stroll, obviously, we know he's a a hometown kid. I, I don't know if he's going to be atop the podium, but you can always dream of something. If Nick Taylor, the unsung Nick Taylor story of last weekend, can carry on into this weekend, the Canadian Grand Prix, uh, we'll try to manifest it. Um, we'll talk to Lawrence next. And then we've got Ben Shulman at 8 o'clock. And to wrap up our show, Hinak Mwamba, who was the Grey Cup champion and Grey Cup MVP last year for the Toronto Argonauts, will join us to end this show. Uh, most outstanding player, most outstanding Canadian. Big day for Canada here on the show. They are kicking off their Grey Cup season this Sunday. So we'll go through all of that with him. And my old Dartmouth friend has joined the Argos. So mm-hmm. let's get the scoop on the scouting report on how Flo's fitting in. Um, all that to come. And then you can send in your picks for the Wake and Rake at 590, 590. We'll do that quickly to wrap up the show. All right, Lawrence, next. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Baby Friday on the Fan Morning Show. Great text in here. Rinks Unknown with Ailish Fortify. There we go. Sign me up for that series. Could be on, I don't know, one of our many channels. Could be like Sportsnet West. Sportsnet Hamlet can be its own channel. There you go. The ideas are <laughs> terrific today. Two texts in already from the Shelburne folk that are fired up this morning for the, uh, the shout-out on the radio, so... Shelburne's listening. They Shelburne's have always listening. radio connection there. Um, coming live from Montreal, Lawrence Barreto, reporter and host at F1.com, uh, head of the Canadian Grand Prix. How's it going, Lawrence? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks, guys. Uh, really good. I mean, I woke up at 4.30 this morning with jet lag, so apart <laughs> from that. Hey, I'm you could have come on the show and hosted it with us. That's our hour. We're up at 4.30 grinding. I would have loved that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in Montreal. Um, I don't I assume it's not your first time, but um, the the overall excitement in you know, Canadian-wide, obviously, is always big for this. This is our, our big um, our big race. But what, what's, like, the perspective of what the Canadian Grand Prix is? Is it it's got its own, like, quirks and Canadian um, feats? Like, when the when the when the fans come in, when the media comes in, the players come in, like, how do they view the Canadian Grand Prix? So I'm really lucky that this is my 10th time uh, in Montreal for the Grand Prix. So I feel like I know it pretty well. And it's definitely a favourite. And I'd say that because it's got this unique experience of having a track almost in the middle of the city. And we don't go to many places where you've got a proper racing track. You have street tracks where you go on the, on the public roads. Mm-hmm. But here you've got a, a part permanent track in the middle of an island in the St. Lawrence River. So it looks beautiful. The racetrack itself is an incredible driving experience. The drivers love it because it's got some really high speed straights and then some really heavy braking corners you can overtake and they love it. And then the fans, you normally get about 100,000 who come in every year to, to watch the race around, from around the world as well as plenty of locals. And that just builds a really nice atmosphere on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I got to go last year. It was my first experience. Um, I, I should have taken a couple more tips about the difference between the grandstand and general admission, but just being there, the energy around it, like the Canadian pride, the Canadian flags. But it, it does seem like a lot of people come in for this one. I don't know if it's just because it's an opportunity to come to Canada to try something different, but it, it feels like there's still an international flair, a lot of flags from all over. Does it still seem like a, a tourist-type destination on the F1 circuit? Yeah, definitely. Because I think if you go out into downtown Montreal or even to the Old Town during the race weekends, you do meet a a wide cross-section of fans from around the world. They support a a variety of different teams, from Ferrari to Aston Martin to Mercedes. 
Um, there really is an excitement for Formula One as a sport. And you do get the fact that you've got Americans coming in, you've got the Brits coming in, you've got people from Europe, from Asia even coming in. So obviously I think people just come here for that wider trip, for that, that great experience of coming to Canada, like you said, mm-hmm. and to know that generally speaking, you get a great entertaining Grand Prix. And you can't always say that about every racetrack around the world, but it's almost always a great race here. So it's been all Max all the time uh, this season, Lawrence. How has that affected, like, your coverage, the the, the wa- water cooler talk around the sport this year? Uh, has it been good for the sport? Has it been bad for the sport when one guy has been so dominant? I've definitely had to research different words for saying how great <laughs> someone can be. Uh, because, because you're obviously writing reports, you're talking and giving analysis on a guy who really is driving better than we've seen for many, many years. I think Lewis was the last, Lewis Hamilton was the last driver to really dominate in this fashion. And I know it can look boring because Max is winning so often, but actually if you look at how talented he is and what he's doing with arguably still the best car, it does show how great a driver he is and how he might go and make this era even more dominant than Lewis did with Mercedes. It's a tough sell, if I'm honest, because you tune in each weekend and you know probably it's going to be a Red Bull. It's almost certainly going to be Max if that is the driver um, who's having a really smooth weekend. So it is a tough sell. And you've got teams like Red Bull, uh, Ferrari, Mercedes, Aston Martin, who aren't quite there. They're not quite strong enough to challenge Red Bull. So, you know, the media, it's, it's a tough sell for sure. But I think if you can have an exciting race, you've got guys like Fernando Alonso, coming through the field, having this renaissance at 41 years old. You've got some other great stories. Mercedes really delivered on their upgrade for the last race, and they're coming back into the fight. And you've got a hungrier Lewis and a hungrier George Russell, his teammate. So you're getting some stories there. It's just that the ultimate story each weekend at the minute, it's just that it's Red Bull and it's Max Verstappen, and they're just driving out of their skin. Yeah, won three straight races. Uh, looks like they could be their 100th F1 win maybe this weekend. But like, how have they lapped the field so dramatically how much is that the vehicle and, and the advancements that they've made and how much is that max like it, it is there something that has changed so much this season that has taken this lead and, and amplified it to this level that you're using thesauruses to figure out how to say amazing and incredible <laughs> <laughs> so i think it's mostly down to when the regulations changed for 2022, so last season, the cars were dramatically different. And often you find that one team just makes a big step because they've just found uh, a way of interpreting the regulations to build the best car. And the Red Bull came out last year and it was so powerful. And then over the winter, they've just managed to take that next step, whereas the other teams, as they've tried to chase, have maybe taken more risks or they've gone down a different development path to try and make that big step to try and catch Red Bull, and it's just not worked out other than for a team like Aston Martin who jumped from seventh to second. So it's clear that you can do that. You can make a big step in Formula 1 if you get the right car and you get the right ideas, the right, right idea for the floor and the front wing and the rear wing. But it is very difficult, and all Red Bull have done is just made the right decisions every time they've put a new part on the car. And that just means that they just make this incremental advantage each time they get to a racetrack. How good is Max and how good is the car? Well, I think if you compare him to Sergio Perez, and people were talking earlier this year about Perez maybe being a title contender, the fact that Max has been so consistent, he's finishing the top two in every race that we've had this year. That's an incredible achievement. And Checo, his teammate, hasn't been able to do that. So I do think you can see that it is about the driver as well as obviously having the best car. 
even if you've got the best car, you've still got to do the job inside it. And Max just hasn't made a single mistake this year. Maybe a mistake was uh, the crane lifting up Red Bull's car and you're seeing the under <laughs> underbelly of it. I wonder, I know obviously that was kind of a, a fun social media moment where everyone was like, oh my God, zooming in and trying to get, you know, advice or, or tidbits on it. But honestly, like how, how much can that impact the or how much replication can you see from other teams? How fast can they make adjustments? I know they've been analyzing uh, the bottom of the car, but like, is there a real... Uh, feel that that could give an advantage to anyone else or just an unfortunate moment that happened uh, back in Monaco? Well, I think it's just a really helpful thing for all nine of their rivals to be able to see the floor because the floor is the most influential part of a mm-hmm. Formula 1 car under these new rules. So if you can make a good floor and you can make changes to it, then you're going to have a fast race car, whatever you do with the other bits in it. So I think it was really useful for the other teams to see what Red Bull are doing and get ideas of like what direction they might be going. But the reason why Red Bull aren't too upset about that happening is because that floor is nine months. To, it was designed probably nine months to a year ago, for mm-hmm. them, which means they're nine months to a year ahead on development on the floor. So their, their floor in their current thinking is a year ahead of that. So even if the teams go and copy that, and that would take two or three months, they're still going to be a year behind, if that makes sense, the development path of Red Bull. So as annoying as it is for them, because it's kind of given away a few secrets, they will ultimately have the confidence to know that they are still quite far ahead. It's just whether or not any of the other teams and their rivals can go, oh, I get what you're doing, and I know where you're trying to get to in a year or two years, so we're going to try and do that for next year. So then it just comes down to engineers being clever, using their expertise to try and make the most of what they got to see. A double podium in Spain for Mercedes. Would the smart money still be on them to have the first non-Red Bull team win a race this year? Or is there another team that might be poised for a breakthrough? Oh, that's a good question. I think that they are the the, the coming team at the minute. I think that the, the step that they made shows that they've, they've understood why their car wasn't so good at the start of the year and why they are now moving in the right direction. I think it's a close run thing between Mercedes and Aston Martin, actually, as to who is the the best set to try and take that win away from Red Bull. But they need everything to go perfectly. We saw in Monaco that if Aston Martin had pitted at the right time or not done that extra pit stop, they could have won that race. So they are very much in the mix there. Mercedes showed in Spain that they are close, but I think they're around 20 seconds off the pace ultimately and um, behind Red Bulls in that race. So there's still quite a big gap in Formula One terms. But they are close. And I think it's at tracks like this one, the circuit Gilles Villeneuve in Montreal, where they might have an opportunity because you always, always, almost always get a safety car and that mixes the field up. You can have dodgy weather here. I've looked at the forecast. It's saying it's supposed to rain every single day Ooh. up until Saturday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that could spice things up. So I think when you've got those unpredictability, um, those unpredictable moments and those variables, it opens the door for an Aston Martin and Mercedes to take advantage. But they need the stars to align, I think, at the moment to try and nab, nab that win, that first non-Red Bull win. There's certainly a lot of uh, conversation around Lewis Hamilton. I mean, he's the seven-time he is a seven-time Grand, Grand Prix winner here in Canada, but there's obviously the pending contract extension talks with Mercedes and maybe some rumors about Ferrari. Uh, how much do you think that that goes? That we'll hear more about that maybe post Canadian Grand Prix, where Lewis Hamilton's at with Mercedes, and if there's you know a real legitimacy to the idea that he could actually go to Ferrari, and how crazy that would be. I mean, that would be really crazy if he ended up at Ferrari. I think all Formula One drivers 
at one stage in their career dream of being in red, you know, driving that mm. famous car, even if history shows that actually the Ferrari isn't really often the very best car on the, on the grid. There's something that's like a love affair with the team. Do I think it's likely? No, not really. I think because Mercedes, uh, Lewis has such a great relationship with Mercedes, he's got such a great stand in there. He knows that after his career, it would be great to continue association with Mercedes. And he just knows, you know, he's got this trust relationship with Toto Wolff that the boss of the team, that he knows that actually he can back that team if they get things right. The best shot of winning that eighth world title, a record-breaking eighth world title, is with Mercedes. So at the moment, they're haggling over the details. I honestly couldn't tell you how long that is going to take because it's taken a long time in the Mm. past. They're probably, probably negotiating numbers, you know, days of media appearances, little details like that. I think they've ultimately agreed that they're going to stay together. It's just those final details in the contract that I imagine it's going to be quite a tricky thing to negotiate when you basically become friends with your boss and your chief negotiator. You got any insight on Lewis Hamilton and Shakira? (laughs) No, I I don't. uh, Keep an eye out for her this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Was it in Miami that I saw some reports that they were hanging out? Yeah, apparently they're dating. So I don't know. I just thought we'd ask, Lawrence. You're on the beat. Maybe you've seen them, you know, cozying (laughs) up at a a coffee shop. But keep an eye out in Montreal. There's some romantic strolls. You could take cobblestone roads, go for some poutine, take a look if you see any (laughs) Shakira. Um, We're talking to Lawrence Barreto, uh, reporter and host for F1.com. Okay, so obviously there's a little bit of a Canadian connection. That stroll with Aston Martin and the Montreal native and kind of our only Canadian real, um, I guess, love and appreciation that some people have here for him and his his time here but i wonder how this weekend maybe feels for a guy like that uh, canadian roots uh, canadian heritage but also like you as you mentioned uh they have maybe come up a little bit and had a little bit of a rise Aston martin emerging emerging maybe at a good time do you think that that adds any emphasis or any um ability to to do something great this weekend for him yeah, I think he's probably going to come to his home race for the first time since he's been from one realistic that a podium is real possible mm. if things go his way, an outside chance of a win. And you can tell that his demeanour, I think, this weekend, I've not been to the track yet, we're heading there in about half an hour, an hour. I think you're going to see a Lance Shaw who's very excited about this weekend because he's got the car, like you said, and like we were talking about, that really is in contention this weekend. He does have pretty decent support here. Um, I think you'll see a lot of Aston Martin fans, a lot of Stroll fans and the grandstands. And I think there is a love, because there's such a love for Formula 1, it's nice to be able to get behind someone who can maybe feature in the race and really fight for those good positions. He's shown this year that he's got he's very capable of pulling off some incredible overtaking moves. He's had some bad luck this year. He obviously had that injury at the start of the year. Um, and that really hampered his, his really capabilities of fighting up the front. He had those two injuries to his wrist and to his big toe. And that really kind of put his season on the start of the back foot. But if everything kind of aligns and Fernando Alonso's teammate keeps saying what a great driver he is, then yeah, he could very much have a strong weekend this weekend. How, how far has Lance Stroll come since he first arrived at F1? He's come. He's come a long way. I think. It's, it's, I think he's only 24, 25 at the minute. So it's, it's easy to forget that if he wanted to, he could go on for another 15, 16 years. He's ultimately very early in his Formula One career. He started very young, and he had that very difficult period at Williams where the car wasn't always at its best, and so it was difficult to show what you could do. He had that pole position a few years ago when he was at Racing Point. So he's he's shown in flashes 
that he can be a very good Grand Prix driver. The problem at the moment is that he hasn't got that consistency. And he is starting to find it, and it always helps when you've got a good car because you can have a, a smoother weekend from first practice on Friday through to the race on Sunday. But he probably hasn't developed maybe as quickly as he would have hoped. That said, he's got a good car, and I think you just need in Formula 1 two or three really good weekends, and that can really help build momentum and it's definitely helping, I think, having Fernando Alonso alongside because you've got all of that experience and a driver operating at arguably the peak of his career. And I think you just as a driver on the other side of the garage really feed off that and are able to take some steps. So I think this is a big year for him. I think if he can make some progress this year, then he has got a really good chance of sticking around for a fair few years. Well, Lawrence, we hope you enjoy um, your 10th trip or whatever to, to Montreal. You're a local now. Um, appreciate you jumping on this morning. Enjoy the weekend. And uh, we hope that we see a little Canadian fanfare and maybe a little podium finish for our guy. Appreciate it so much. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's been of course, fun. Of course. Um, enjoy the weekend. That's Lawrence Barretta, a reporter and host at F1.com. And a uh, big weekend at the Canadian Grand Prix. If you're going, let us know how it is. Let us know your plans. Um, I was there last year. It's a fun experience. I feel like Lawrence won't have trouble getting off the island. No, he knows. He knows what's up. He's done it. He's a vet. He's a wily vet. But yeah, Shakira <laughs> and, and Lewis Hamilton, too. We got to get a little insight. It's a star-studded relationship right there. If Shakira's in Montreal, we'll find out. Yeah, there's a lot of parties, too. There's a lot of parties this weekend. We went to one last year, like, we we as in I... You. No, this is what happened. I went with all of my Olympian friends, mm-hmm. and I pretended that I was basically on the team. We all... They were all invited to, like, the Maxim party and all course, this stuff. Of course. And I just totally just got right in the middle of the group and pretended, and... I felt like a, a celeb alongside, you know, mm. Aaron Ambrose. We're golfing with today and Sarah Nurse and Laura Stacey and Marie Philippe Plan. And I'm just in there like, oh, I was just, uh, you know, I was a role player on the team, just fourth liner. <laughs> They're like, do you guys have your medals? And I'm like, mm, I didn't bring mine. So that was last weekend. Were, uh, last were, they, year. were you guys flashing medals? I was not. No, but like, were the others? Yeah, like the they, had, they had some moments, like there was some autograph stuff. Hmm. Anyway, so I kind of. Did you sign an autograph? I was on the. Did you fake no, sign no, an autograph? No, no, I would no? never, no. No. Really? I just direct them to the real stars. Oh, I but thought it was you should have put weekend. your signature down. They, like, they, especially Montreal, because a lot of the girls live there and, and train there, so they were pretty famous. So nice. It's just like riding the coattails, but there's a lot of parties this weekend, and it'll be, be a fun time in Montreal. So I hope anyone that's going enjoys it very much. So, Well, if this idea that we have for you... Uh, I don't know if it's it's if, I don't know if it's Anthony Bourdain level, mm-hmm. but we have a really good title for you visiting Hamlets and Rinks... Across Ontario. Rinks unknown. Ailish Forfar, rinks unknown. It could be the thing. We just have to, we just got to pitch that. Pitch that to the right person. Does anybody work for Tourism Ontario that's listening to the show? We have some ideas for a nice little segment, a little show. Rinks unknown with Ailish. I just go to Hamlets. I check out their arena popcorn, their dogs, like see what's up. Yeah, I mean, just review the barns. you know, sampling the food at local rinks. Like that would be booming for the small hamlets and their business. I think we found something. What was your post-game move? Pizza roll? No. Hot dog? We usually had like the team would cater. I know. I'm talking when you're young. Oh, when I'm cater. young. My parents were just, you know, refuel with the team good carbohydrates. You think that's what I was asking I you? I don't know. I think I was asking you about Dartmouth. <laughs> the- I was asking you about Sutton. Yeah, probably. I was asking you about Hamlet. My parents are probably like strict, like good, healthy carbohydrates. Were they? 
I don't know. It didn't do it for me. I didn't get the real gold medal. I just had to ride the coattails of my friends. In Pizza Montreal. rolls in Brampton were off the charts. Yeah. That's the I really like a good, there's arena popcorn rankings could be an entire segment. Like there's, you got to have the right salt level, butter level. And, and like, no, you know, which ones have I good popcorn. Like, I feel like popcorn out of rinks. No. Untrustworthy. No, 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 really? no. I'm sure if we opened up this as a conversation in the text line, there would be texts in about where the best arena popcorn is. It's like an actual point of pride. And Owen this Sound? is not just no, a point no, no, of pride. This, this is a show. This, this is a show. Yeah, it is a show. We should be doing it. This winter when I went to Hockey Day in Canada in Owen Sound, immaculate popcorn and their fries are top notch in the league. I remember it's actually like a real thing that people know about the Owen Sound attack yeah. in their arena and the, the fries. And I remember vividly. I had both. I had, I had a lot of food Ron, from that. Ron McLean's kind of been doing our show idea for like 20 years. Yeah, so. we're kind of just like... <laughs> Maybe we're not we're really on something. From. Anyway, uh, final hour of the fan morning show on the baby Friday. We got Ben Shulman joining us after the break. A big win for the Toronto Blue Jays. Much needed against Orioles last night. The Jose Barrios story um, continues to just impress us all. The bounce back we've seen we needed uh, from him. Almost a, a no-hitter for most of the game last night. Uh, Hinoch Mwamba joins us at 8.30. Toronto Argonauts, Grey Cup champ, was the most outstanding player at the 109th Grey Cup and most outstanding Canadian. Uh, big weekend for them. They kick off their season on Sunday. We're excited to chat and, and see the, where the Argos are at this year defending their trophy. And then Wake and Rake at 8, just to wrap it up at the end of the show. So send those picks in at 590, 590. All to come on your baby Friday.